0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Quit Your Day Job. I am Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. Am I wearing sweatpants while I record this? You will never know. This podcast is all about dream jobs, the ones you wished you had when you were a kid and the ones you pin up on your vision board. I decided to chase after my dream jobs in 2020 by taking unpaid internships at four of them. I quit my job as CEO of a philanthropy consulting business to try my hand working on Broadway, in fitness, as an art dealer, and at a hotel. And then I wrote a book about my experience, which will be out in 2023. I am psyched to share my story with you, but in the meantime, I'm bringing you a few others. Real people who work really cool jobs. So before you quit your day job to go be a painter or an actress or a life coach, listen in and see what it's really like behind the scenes. Welcome back to Quit Your Day Job. I am here today with one of the loveliest people I have ever met inside and out. We've got Vanessa Nadal here today, who is a shining example of a career changer. She studied chemical engineering at MIT, going to work as a research and development scientist at Johnson & Johnson, where she worked with skincare products. And then she decided she could affect more change in the world as a lawyer. So she went and did that. She went to law school, started working at a global law firm focusing on health, intellectual property, and contract law. And now Vanessa is an adjunct professor at Fordham University School of Law, where she teaches their first ever cosmetics regulation course. She's also a mom of two, and I don't think she'll mind me saying, an amazing dancer. So, Vanessa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alicia. So I like to start out with a little bit of a fun lightning round. These are five quick questions, deeply, deeply personal. No, I'm just kidding. Fun questions to just learn a little bit more about you and get you ready for the really hard questions I'm going to ask you. So are you ready for your lightning round? I'm always ready. Okay. I know you are. Okay. You're going to a fancy dinner, but you Mm -hmm. can only bring one makeup product with you. What do you bring? Lipstick. Any specific one.
1: Uh, I guess it depends on what I'm wearing, but probably sort of an orangey pink or bright red.
0: Yeah, go bold. Originally, this question was, if you were going to a desert island, what would be your one makeup product? And then I was like, well, why would you bring makeup to a desert island? So, and you're a very logical person. It would be moisturizer. Would it? Oh, actually, that's so smart. Or sunscreen. Or moisturizing sunscreen. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm, See? Oh, that's... Now, well, you're getting an extra bonus uh Yeah, but that would question. be the only one... That's the only appropriate answer is moisturizer or sunscreen. And not lipstick. Not lipstick. <laughs> not lipstick. And it's worth sharing with my guests that I currently own eight lipstick colors, seven of which of those were purchased for me by Vanessa. So <laughs> she is a lipstick expert for sure. And if you've ever seen a picture of her, you can see how she rocks it all the time. All right. Question two. You are a native New Yorker. So do you prefer... The subway or a taxi?
1: Subway all the way. The traffic is just too unpredictable. Well, it also depends on where you are in the city. If you're trying to go cross town, it's like the bus or the, you have to go above ground. Yeah. Walking, bus, bike, taxi, whatever.
0: Carrier pigeon. But Re- otherwise, a really big one. subway. <laughs> okay. You're planning a vacation, maybe with me, ideally. Do you take a beach break or a city break?
1: Ooh, that's a hard one. With my little kids, probably beach so that I can tire them out.
0: Yes, good strategy.
1: But when they get older, I think I'll go back to more city. I haven't done a lot of city vacations lately, and I really like those two.
0: Yeah, I think both are amazing. But schlepping kids around a city can be a real challenge. I remember being in Hong Kong once and seeing this family with like a double stroller and two kids under the age of three and just thinking there is just no way you could pay me enough money to be here with my children. (laughs) There's so many stairs and escalators in Hong Kong. It's like a terrible place to have a stroller. All right. Question four, when you were a kid, what did you want to do when you grew up?
1: Okay. I have several answers to this, but my first answer is is when I was really little, I wanted to be a nurse. And I think that was just because it was the only job that I saw a woman in regularly, like in the books I was reading and I had no idea what a nurse did. I just was like, that's a profession I can have as a girl. And then when that belief fell away, in eighth grade, I did a presentation for like a class, like a communications class where they're teaching us how to present. There were no slides back then, so it was on poster board. Oh God. <laughs> which Laura, read. I was like, Laura, when did we do this? A friend of ours. And and she was like, yeah, that was eighth grade. There were no slides.
0: <laughs> oh my God. At least it wasn't microfilm.
1: Anyway, uh-huh. So I okay. did this presentation on... Forensic entomology. I have no idea how I got onto that subject, and I loved it. You I need to it explain so what, cool. it, what is it. What is that? Forensic entomology is the study of bugs applied to criminal forensics. What? So basically, because bug life is, lifespan is so short, you can tell, first of all, where a body was killed and how long it's been dead by studying like the larvae. Shut up. Yeah. I can't believe this hasn't been a CSI show already. Oh, I'm sure that's... I, I want to say that's where I got it, but I wasn't allowed to watch TV, so I really don't know where I got this, where I found out about this job. I just thought it was such a cool way... I was like, this has got to be really new. But of course, it's probably not very new at all. And then I realized that and I was like, oh, now everybody's doing it. forensic entomology already. Oh I got to find something else it's newer.
0: <laughs> okay. So clearly my challenge is to one, find a forensic entomologist for this podcast for an upcoming episode, but also maybe convince you to do an internship in that field if it's always been your passion.
1: Oh, yeah, I would totally do that.
0: Oh my God, that's so funny. That is definitely the most unique answer I've gotten since recording this podcast (laughs) so far. So congratulations, there's a door prize for that on the way out. Okay, that's amazing. And we then are gonna need to go into how you got from forensic entomology to chemical engineering. But final lightning round question, Hamilton or Heights?
1: Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was with
0: some questioning. Let's just say it's good this isn't a video
1: podcast. (laughs) No, I like them both. One is easier to dance to, and one has really fantastic lyrics, which is always my thing. So
0: That's true. Hard to choose. Hard to choose. Well, you survived the lightning round. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay, and I've already learned stuff about you that I didn't know, even though we've been friends for some time. So we're going to learn a little bit more now. So in a world where I am very lucky to have so many Badass friends Vanessa is just like truly among the badassest. You have done so many things, okay. and you took this massive career pivot very early on in your journey, which it often takes people a much longer time to get there. So tell us how you got from forensic entomology dreams to where you are now
1: I'd never thought of it as taking a career turn pretty early in my life, but I guess you're right. I think it's because i I'm very practical and So I took like a AP bio class in high school and I loved it. And then I did an internship at a genetics lab while I was in high school and decided to go to MIT. And I knew I didn't want to be a doctor, even though I had dreams of becoming like a neurosurgeon, but I was not interested in being a doc in school for 12 years. So I decided to do chemical engineering. At the time, MIT didn't have a bioengineering program. And all of the bioengineering was being done, obviously, in other places, chemical engineering, mechanical engineering. So I chose chemical engineering and just took every biology-based extra class that I could take. Right. You know, like, and to the point where, like, they finally came out with a bioengineering minor and I was one class short when I graduated. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, ah! But anyway, so the jobs that I was available that I could get were like all oil and gas based because chemical engineers usually go to oil and gas jobs. But that was not interesting to me. Another very common job for a chemical engineer is actually formulating or not formulating, but scaling up formulations. And so I went to work for Johnson & Johnson. And first I did bench work. And then I moved into more clinical work where I was doing research, not on like how ingredients affect cells, but on how ingredients actually affect women who are using them in products. And it was really fun. I really liked it, but I'm more of a cook than a baker. Mm -hmm. And when you're a chemist, you really have to be a baker. You have to be very exacting. (laughs) And I wasn't a chemist. There's a difference, right? Like a chemist is somebody who does something on the bench and then the chemical engineer. Tell me what on the bench is. What's on the bench? Like a lab bench. Oh, okay. Like, like you're mixing, like you're like mixing beakers just, and a coat and like, yeah, the goggles and a bunch of. Yeah, banana. you're making. You're like a chef who's making a recipe, okay. and then somebody is like, "Hey, we want you to be the next Wolfgang puck, but we've got to figure out how to make this, you know, more streamlined and make a million thousands of them a day millions. So okay, about yeah. Oh, interesting. And that the science between those two is is different, right? So. I was working for Johnson and Johnson and I really liked it but then I I felt like there wasn't enough upward mobility there. Not that I knew exactly what I wanted to do but I just felt like everybody I saw with higher jobs than me had another degree. Oh, then I had to do a patent map for one of my I what well, not one of my ideas. We had to do a patent map for an idea that we had and I had never done that before. I'd never been exposed to intellectual property before. And I just found it really interesting. And I thought the idea of like being on the cutting edge of science all the time, but not having to do the science was amazing. (laughs) I also thought about becoming like a scientific journalist, but it doesn't pay very well. So I was like, not that. Lawyer. (laughs) Yeah. So I went to law school and I thought I would do patent law. And somebody told me that you learn everything on the job, more or less. So... I didn't bother taking a lot of IP classes and classes within that realm. And I just kind of took everything that I was interested in. I took a class on entertainment law because my husband is in entertainment. So I was like, I should probably know a little bit about this. Right. I took a class on like minors law. I did a study abroad in Spain and learned about EU law. I took a class on healthcare law. I took a class on human rights law. It was, I just took everything that was even remotely interesting to me.
0: right. And then you went into a big law firm. I know you started in patent law, but moved to international litigation. And now you're a professor. Can you tell us how that change happened? This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love.
1: In a
0: given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today.
1: So I was at the law firm and I took on a case that was a False Claims Act case and I just had so much fun that I was like, oh, I should really, like, I can do science and law together, yeah. but I'm not doing that now. And I got to find a way to do that. And I had already decided to step back from my role at this firm. And my husband had had a very banner year and we had a one-year-old, and a, a one-year-old, one one-and-a-half-year-old who was around that age. And we were just exhausted and we needed a break. So my husband took a role in the UK and that's when we became friends. Woo-hoo! Lucky me. Which was the best. <laughs> and we, um, just before I quit my firm, my email address was still public. And Fordham Law School has a fashion lines too, which was started by Susan Scafidi. And it's the first fashion law, like department in the world. Right. And they had decided that they needed to start moving into cosmetics. And they had, they have, they, every year they have like a one day class set of CLEs of uh, continuing legal education. Mm -hmm. And they asked me to be on this panel that they called beauty and the, no, was it beauty and the beast or beauty and the law, something like that. Love it. Either way. (laughs) They were looking for a cosmetic chemist and they found my resume on LinkedIn, which I had not updated, I think since college, because I didn't realize, I don't know if you remember this, but in college LinkedIn happened and then it went away. Like nobody used it for like five years. And then suddenly it came back.
0: I do not. I was not on LinkedIn in college. I don't even know what I would have written on my LinkedIn (laughs) in college. It would would have been sparse and probably not impressive. That
1: That cannot be true.
0: Mall mall information booth employee, three months. Oh, Um, come on. I'm sure you were (laughs) heading like 12 clubs at Harvard. I did work at a few bookstores, which was fun. I don't think I had any clubs. I had a lot of fun in college and I did all my hard leadership work to get into college. And then I kicked back for a little while and then I picked it back up again. But yes, anyway. Okay. So LinkedIn, I didn't know it was a thing before, but a useful tool and you had made a profile and then forgotten it was there. (laughs)
1: Is that what happened? (laughs) So yeah. So one of Susan's associates, Jeff Trexler, was looking for a cosmetic chemist to add some interest to this panel, which included, I think a hairstylist who had come out with a cosmetic line and I think somebody from the FDA. And he found my profile and realized that I also went to Fordham for a law degree. And he was like, this is amazing. You're perfect. Please come talk. And I remember being like, oh no, maybe I shouldn't do this. I haven't been at that job in almost 10 years. And then I was, I quickly was like, if I, I, I did the math, (laughs) <laughs> I was like, there's there's five people on the panel. It's a 60-minute panel. They're going to ask questions. Most likely, I'm going to talk for five, maybe 10 minutes if, right. it's, if everyone else is super boring, which is not going to be the case, right? Mm-hmm. If I can't talk for 10 minutes about something I worked on for three years, then like <laughs> I have bigger problems yes. than this panel. So I did the panel, and I really hit it off with Susan and Jeff, and they asked me if I would write... A chapter about cosmetics regulations in the United States for this nutshell they were coming out with. A nutshell is like this little book on a particular area of law that lawyers can use to sort of dive into a new subject. Right. And so I agreed to do it. And that really kicked it off. And when I handed it in my first draft, they were they were really impressed. And eventually they asked me to create a cosmetics course and they paired me with this brilliant, wonderful woman named Claire Bing. So yeah, that's how that's, I did it. And then I started creating a course with a one-year-old and a four-year-old. Oh God. I mean, I was, I was there
0: thinking. I was there for a lot of this live, but <laughs> so I saw but it. But it was a lot. And I know it was a lot at the beginning. And so as you know, I love telling people what to do, but I feel like I would even be intimidated by walking into a class of law students, range of ages, maybe different expertise levels. How did it feel when you went into your first class? Like, were you just like, yeah, I got this. Or were you nervous? Like, what was it like?
1: I, I don't know that I really get nervous before I go speak in front of people. You know, people sometimes now that they know that my husband is in entertainment and he, you know, acts and he's kind of a big personality, they expect me to be the opposite. And I think in that I'm not, you know, I don't I don't shy away from being the center of attention right. or explaining the things that I know. So I wasn't really nervous about being in front of the class somebody wisely told me I definitely knew more than they did. I was like, okay, that's true. Mm -hmm. And I I had a co-professor, so that was helpful too. I had slides. I was really more worried about making sure the flow went well and how to engage the students because that was the stuff I didn't know. I didn't know, you know, I'd given presentations like lectures before, but I hadn't really given taught classes where I had to hook the people and get them to question things and... I'd given a lot of lectures where I'm like, this is what I know, and I'm going to like put it in your brain. I hadn't given lectures where I need people to sort of think for themselves and come up with the solutions or conclusions that I'm hoping them to, for them to come to or not. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes I am trying to get them to have some particular realizations.
0: So now you're in your fourth year of delivering this class. What is it about teaching that keeps bringing you back year after year?
1: my career. So I, I chose science because that's what interests me the most, but in practice, what I like to do is break down really big scientific concepts and help somebody who doesn't specialize in that, understand them. And so that's why like journalism was interesting to me and patent law was interesting to me. And so teaching, I have to do that too. I have to help people who've never been exposed to the subject and people who don't understand science very much at all, help them understand the subject. Your
0: your transition to becoming a professor help you in homeschooling your children during lockdown. Any important things I, you I'm learned? Probably
1: more the reverse. <laughs> no, because law students, you know, I expect them to be adults who manage their own studies.
0: And not so much for... Your oh my little God, ones.
1: No, no. <laughs> I, well, my oldest was in kindergarten when lockdown started and he wasn't reading it. And so putting him on Zoom was a problem because he couldn't read like the chat. He couldn't read leave the, oh. the button that says leave, you know, like he just he couldn't sign on to anything himself because he couldn't read the names of his teachers. Oh so it was <laughs> so it was no. hard. What it did, lockdown helped me understand in a very real way that people, not everybody, I mean, I know this theoretically, but not everybody learns the same way I do, but I've never had to teach anybody before. So figuring out how to teach my son things that I'm good at, but he's not, or things that he's good at, but I'm not, Mm. uh, was definitely a huge learning curve for me. And it really made me understand that I can't expect my, I can't even expect my law students to get everything the same way. And I think at the same time, we started doing, virtual classes for my law, for the law class. And that was really helpful in also like we had to find new ways to engage them because you can't just sit there and stare at them and wait for the awkward silence to <laughs> force somebody to answer you. They just don't care. You have an extremely busy life
0: and two young Mm -hmm. kids, a lot Mm -hmm. of family and domestic responsibilities. And I'm not going to ask you how you do it all because that question sucks. I hate when people ask me that question. I'm like, oh, I drink lots and lots of coffee and take class A drugs. But the second part is not (laughs) true. But I think we all feel like we fail at something a lot of the time. What are your hacks for managing such a crazy schedule? I have seen your calendar and I know it is a crazy schedule. So
1: I have a lot of help I really benefit from, I I think this is now becoming more common, but somebody told me like five years ago or maybe, maybe four years ago that I'm like the CEO of my family. And I was like, oh yeah, I am. Okay. Like that just sort of like can do that. I can do that. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm the CEO. I'm like sort of the CFO, although my husband's business is so big that sometimes I shunt some of it to the real CFO, you know, all of, I'm all this, all the chiefs (laughs) suites, except for the chief earner. (laughs) I don't I'm not the product of the family so that somehow really helped me think about delegating tasks in Mm. a way and feeling a little less guilty about not like making my children's lunch every day you know like my nanny does that and she's amazing I actually need an assistant if anybody is
0: listening. <laughs> advertisement. Job <laughs> advertisement. I lo- I love though the idea of thinking about being the CEO of your own family. The I guess the, the things that get me angriest are when I feel like I have to be the CEO, but also like the junior assistant for my family. So it's like both like mm-hmm. do, when I'm doing all the managing and then I'm also mm-hmm. getting a message that says, where do I find my passport number? And I'm like, how can you not find your passport number? <laughs> you are a functioning adult. And my husband is an incredible and functioning adult, but sometimes I feel like I do it all. So actually I'm going to take that advice and uh, figure out how to just do the CEO role and less of yeah. the Yeah.
1: The other thing that up. <laughs> we found in the pandemic actually is that my husband had a little more time in the pandemic than he had previously. And some of it was not actually more time, but just that he was trapped at home with us (laughs) (laughs) and couldn't leave and couldn't leave. And I found that delegating tasks to him that were tangible in terms of time and appointment made everything a lot easier because, you know, calling the doctor's office can happen at any time between nine and five. But if, your team has scheduled you from nine to five, then when do you have time to do right. it? So we found that, you know, he took the kids to school every day during the pandemic. And at first I felt a little bad about it. And then I was like, no, no, no. I've been sitting here on the for an hour with insurance, you yes. know? And he's not doing that. He's taking his kids to school every day. So figuring out how to split up the tasks in a way that works for not just you, but for your partner and also for the people who... Like work with or for, yeah, or, yeah.
0: and just split up like a whole task too. So like that was some advice I got from reading Eve Rodsky's Fair Play, which is such a great book. And the the idea that you when if you're going to hand over a task, you should hand over the mental piece of it, the mental load piece, as well as like the physical piece, because if you're doing all the management. And then you're still being wrapped into so many things. So like if you're going to ask your husband to make dinner. So when I ask my husband to make dinner, he has to plan the meal. He has to figure out the ingredients he needs for the meal. And I'll order them if I'm doing the grocery that week. And then he's got to put it on the schedule, and then he's got to make the meal and do all of the things. Because it's like, oh, what do you want me to make for dinner? I'm like, no, the worst part of making dinner is figuring out what to make for dinner. You figure out what to make for dinner. Amen. <laughs> and then you make the dinner. Do it all. Just do it all. But it's a, it's a constant, constant battle, I think, if you're a working mom and you have a partner. And I think it's probably heightened for you because you've got so much going on. So I want to know what's next on the Vanessa Nadal plans for world domination.
1: I'm starting to take on clients very slowly. Right. <laughs> but that's really fun because it gives me challenges that I may not impose upon myself. Like, I'm going to use this example. Uh, so when the pandemic hit, there were changes to the way that the FDA regulates hand sanitizer. And hand sanitizer is not really a cosmetic. Like, arguably, it's a cosmetic because it's something you apply on top, to, on top of your skin, but it's definitely a drug. Right arguably is both depending on kind of how you see it. Mm-hmm. So I did this deep dive for somebody asked me to, to talk to their class and they were, it was a class about administrative law. And the whole class was like about researching administrative law. And I was like, oh, I've been meaning to like look into hand sanitizer more. So I guess I'll just do it. And I'll, my presentation will literally be journey I took to do this research, which is exactly what it was. So the presentation was super easy because I just told them exactly what I did and what I thought and why when I learned X, I then did Y. And then after I learned Z, I did double A or whatever. And I just knew something I was supposed to do. But since I don't really have a boss, it was very helpful to like dive into that. (laughs) And certainly that's happened with other kinds of jobs. That one was just like an unpaid little Mm-hmm. talk to a class that I forced myself to do something I wasn't interested in doing <laughs> that I knew I should. But that's, that's like the fun challenge. And then, and then fitting it to your clients, like figuring out your answer, figuring out if your answer is not what the client is looking for, or like how you can still help your client and sort of make them happy, even though the outcome is not what they want Right is definitely an interesting part of being an attorney that is not something that you have to do. Well, I guess it is something you have to do as a scientist, but there's a lot less wiggle room. Right. You know, like if your study doesn't come out the way it was supposed to come out, there's not that much you can do about it. Right. Right.
0: That's awesome. And so I like to kind of finish up by asking everybody you know, obviously, your fields are very specialist. You went to school for a long time to learn all the stuff you learned about science, and then you went to school again to learn everything you know about law. So if people are thinking about switching careers and they're thinking about becoming a professor or teaching or consulting, it may not be exactly in those fields unless they have all the backup. But I think the idea of Taking something you know really well and being able to translate that into a teaching career in whatever format that might be into a consulting career are things that are pretty wide-reaching to a lot of people who might be listening. So mm-hmm. what, what advice would you give to someone who's thinking, actually, I've learned a lot about hand sanitizer or tacos in my life. And I don't know if anyone teaches a taco class, but maybe they should. I would definitely take that class. How should they go about thinking about transitioning to taking that expertise and then turning it into either teaching or consulting, consulting or something that can use that to further their own career?
1: I feel like this was all kind of like landed in, in my lap. So I guess the big takeaway I would say is to take the opportunities that you that are presented to you that you are excited about and then to do your very darn best at it. And usually that will bring you more things that you like to do. I really think that that's, you know, I didn't ever think that I would become a professor. I don't think of myself as somebody who likes to like nurture other people's growth. (laughs) (laughs) But I, the opportunity was presented and I just realized that it was a really great way for me to used the knowledge that I had gained. And I thought, well, this doesn't exist, so it'll be a fun challenge. And I just kind of looked at it as a new challenge that would be fun for me to do. And I found all these other things as I was going through it. But you are a person. I mean, yes, obviously
0: being in the right place at the right time had something to do with it, which it does for everybody's career path. But I also think you said yes to things, even if you weren't a hundred percent sure you knew exactly what you were doing and you take advantage of a lot of opportunities. And I think those are definitely things that you have done and that you would, you have actively done throughout your career. So I think, uh, yeah, luck, luck plays that's a what part, I'm saying.
1: but you that's know, what I'm saying is that, is that you should just kind of always be open to new opportunities and jump onto them when they're in, interesting and exciting to you, even if you don't think that you're Necessarily the perfect person for the job, you know. All you really need is like one person to support you. That's and right. if somebody's offering you the job, then they probably think you can do it. So That's right.
0: there's your one. You're good. Do it.
1: You know, like what's what's the worst thing that could happen?
0: <laughs> I love it, <laughs> Vanessa. Thank you so so much for coming on the podcast. Um, if people want to learn more about you or find out about your work online, where would you point them in the direction of?
1: I guess my LinkedIn or. Which has now been updated.
0: It's been updated. Don't worry.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm coming out hopefully with a couple of writings this year that I've been working on, some for a very long time and some for a short time. And I'm hoping to do more of that kind of work. So hopefully there'll be more content from me soon.
0: And I know you're on Twitter from time to time, which I am not on, but only. Yes, uh, from time to time. To lurk. Vanessa, thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Quit Your Day Job. We are a ZCast production and want to send huge thanks to the whole Zibby Books team for their support. Find me on Instagram at Alicia F. Miranda. I would love to hear what you thought about the episode, future jobs you want me to profile, or the burning questions you think I should ask my upcoming guests. And if you decide to quit your day job, let me know.